going to begin today by um, refuting something that perhaps you've heard before. It's a, it's a phrase that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. And uh, he actually didn't say it, so he's not in trouble or anything. And the saying goes like this, um, preach the gospel and use words if necessary. Now, I know that that's makes us feel warm and tingly. It makes us feel like, oh, that's cool, because what it says is partially true. What it says to us is that the life that we live, if we are going to be a representation for Jesus Christ on this planet, then our life should be having some reflection of who God is, who Christ is. And yet we recognize that that's not everything. So when the saying, ever who said it, preach the, the gospel, and if necessary, use words, my proposal to us today is that it is always necessary. It is not an if necessary agreement. So right now, your mind might be traveling to different places to say, hey, is that really accurate? Is that true? So let's allow the Word of God then to navigate us, navigate our thoughts. We're going to land today in Acts, the book of Acts in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Of course, the, the church is beginning to launch. The church is just experiencing a, a growth spurt. And I want to examine why that is. Let's take a look at why that, that, uh, that is happening. We begin in chapter 3 at a phenomenon, a supernatural phenomenon. And the details of this phenomenon are, ex uh, are very, uh, very important. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, about 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. Now when you look at that verse, you'll notice that it was a man, not a young boy. You'll notice that he had been crippled from birth. That means that in that part of the city, everybody knew. This wasn't someone who lived somewhere else. This wasn't someone who was 12 years old and this was a new, this was a new meeting or new intersection with this person. This was a man who had been crippled in that city from the very day that he was born. Every day, we're told, the details are important, every day he was carried to the temple. So every time people came to church, there he was. This makes a difference because of what is about to happen. They, Peter and John looked at him. He asked them for money. I'm cutting some of the story out for the sake of time. He asked them for money. And this is where now what is an, a, an infamous statement these guys made. And they said, silver or gold have we not. But what we do have, we're going to give to you in the name of Jesus. And they, they, uh, they uh, through the power of Christ, this man was healed. Now that was, that in and of itself is miraculous. But the length of his being 
uh, physically challenged the length of that time, all of his life, every day. Now he's a man. Everybody knows it. So when you look at verse 8 in chapter 3 of Acts, this man jumped to his feet. He began to walk, and then he went, to, uh, went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man. This was mind-blowing. It would have been mind-blowing anyway if they just met the guy. But it was mind-blowing because, hey, there's the guy, whatever his name is. We don't even know his name. But there's, you know, Joe. We see Joe every day. There, every time we go to church, there's Joe. There's Joe. Joe is walking. Joe is jumping. Joe is singing. Joe's praising God. He's running around the temple. What would you do if you'd been sitting there all the days of your life? You'd be doing the same thing. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. I want you to take note that as miraculous and powerful as this story is, we have no evidence that people who saw this and were in awe and wonder and amazement, they did not make a spiritual decision to follow Christ. They were simply amazed. Why do I say this? Because what can happen inadvertently is if we live an amazing life and you are the nicest person on earth, the kindest, forgiving most person on the earth, you're the most generous person on the earth, people might be amazed. But they might be amazed at you rather than being amazed at God. There has to be a connection made. I want to be careful. I'll probably say it a few times during the morning. Does this mean that we do not live a life worthy of Christ? Of course not. Let's just let's be a given. However, may I say this, that people often connect with your imperfection rather than your facade of perfectionism. Mind if I say that again? We can come off as like we got our act all together. We don't drink or chew or drink or smoke or chew or dance with the women that do. You know the saying. Well, sometimes we do. And so sometimes we do that people, oh, like you are a regular person. You're not super Mr. Amazing Perfected guy that has your life manicured. People in general cannot relate to manicured lives. It's when they find out that you're broken and I'm broken, now we're on common ground. You see what I'm saying? That's balanced with living a life for Christ. So it's all in the same recipe. Watch what happened just to prove the point in Acts chapter 3 verse 11. While the beggar held on to who? Peter and John. He wasn't holding on to Christ yet. He's holding on to Peter and John. All the people were astonished and came running to who? To them. Did they come running to Christ? No, they came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Here's the thing. 
When we are representing Christ, the last thing we want people to do is say, you know, that Steve is such an amazing guy. He is so amazing. He, man, he is, he's nice, he's generous, he's, um, help me out, I'm speaking to my wife. He's, uh, <laughs> funny, thank you, thank you so much, thank you. I have other supporters. Uh, Do you know when you write a letter, somebody writes you a very heartfelt letter, who are you thinking about? The person that wrote the letter, right? Listen to these words by Mother Teresa. She said, no one thinks of the pen when reading the letter. Man, I wonder what kind of pen they used to write this letter. Nobody's thinking of that. They only want to know the mind of the person who wrote the letter. That's exactly what I am in God's hands, a little pencil. Think about that. I was thinking when I was reading this, that little golf pencil you have that, you know, is dull as a, you know, butter knife. That's what she saw herself as because she wanted people to understand the writer, not the pen. So when we look in, in the next verse, in verse 12, Peter understood what was going on. He said, they're looking at us. They're attracted to us because of the amazing thing, the amazing life that we're leading. And when Peter saw this in verse 12, he said to them, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? And why do you stare at us as if by uh, the power of our own godliness that we have made this man walk? It's a very fine line that we walk, isn't it? It's kind of like a tension within, like, hey, we want to live for Christ. That's important. We want to have a life of holiness, a life that is in rhythm with God, but recognizing that we're imperfect at the same time, but recognizing that we don't want people just to say, man, we're such a nice guy. I don't know about you, but for a long time, I lived by this philosophy, once I live a life that's honorable and friendly and kind and selfless and all those things, then people will ask me, hey, Steve, what is, the, man, you're different. What's the difference? Okay, it happens sometimes, but let's be honest. Has it happened to you a lot? Good, because it hasn't happened to me a lot. Because I started wondering, well, maybe I'm not so nice, which is true some of the time. I'm not so kind, which is true some of the time. In other words, it is not enough. So then what happens in this moment? Peter, recognizing that the focus was on the wrong place and the wrong person, he began to preach the gospel. And you, you read it for yourself. He lays it out in the, in the, in the bottom half of uh, Acts chapter 3. He lays it out. And I want to take note of how he starts. He said, you killed him. Wow, what a great gospel presentation. I just want you to know that Jesus was delivered into your hands, he's speaking, and you killed him. And then he came back from the dead, and he's laying at all the points because he recognizes that truth changes souls, not just being a nice person. It is the power of the gospel. Watch this. And then people began to get upset about them, but look at the details. Now we're in Acts chapter 4. The, pr the priests and, and the, the religious leaders, Acts chapter 4, verse 1, 
the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, all religious leaders, came up to Peter and John while they were what? Speaking to the people. Not why they were doing miraculous signs. Is there anything wrong with miraculous signs? Nope. Anything wrong with being nice? Nope. I'm going to say it again. But I want you to see what they were upset about. Verse 2, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching, speaking to people, and speaking, proclaiming in, in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It was the power of the spoken word that was really ticking them off. Nobody got ticked off because the guy was healed. There was, no, there was nobody upset about that. There was nobody upset. There's not a lot of people upset with me because I'm a nice guy. If you sit next to somebody on an airplane, they will, like, welcome you if you're nice. And I've met a lot of nice people, Christian, non-Christian. That's not the point. The thing that begins to rock the boat is when you begin to speak in four-letter words. I mean, five-letter words. Jesus. That's when the thing begins to fall apart. This is exactly what was happening. Verse 3, they seized Peter and John. And because it was the evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who had heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000 because they heard the gospel of Christ. You see the contrast between Acts 4 and Acts 3. And Acts 3 was a miracle. I mean, a huge miracle. Everybody knew the guy. It was a huge miracle, and nobody in, in, is recorded to have come to Christ until the gospel was beginning to be verbalized and be vocalized. And then there were 5,000. What's the point? It matters. The voice matters. The gospel matters. You might be taking that path, which I'm going to call the easier path, to say, hey, I'm living a good life. You know, I'm a businessman. I, I, I run a, a business of integrity. I'm a good family man. I don't do this and this and this, and I do this and this and this. I'm pretty faithful and come to church and all those things. And people are just going to see this amazing difference in me. And I'm just saying to you, like Legos, you got you got to connect the two pieces. Acts chapter 4, verse 16. Acts chapter 4, verse 16. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows that they have done an outstanding miracle. This is one of the religious leaders talking to the other religious leaders. Everybody in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle, and we can't deny that. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men not to speak any longer to anyone in Jesus' name. It's almost like, hey, keep doing the miracles. That's, that's pretty amazing. People will just be astonished. They'll just be, they'll be, man, they're at a rock and roll. See, Romans chapter 10, uh, 14 confirms this. How then can they, they means people that are still exploring God, have yet to put their faith in him, how can they call on the one they've not believed in? But how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone speaking to them? That's the formula. Yesterday was one of my sons, teenager. I had what might be the most encouraging conversation I've had in a long time. Um... 
they're all into video games. Every every teenager I know is into video games, and they got headphones, and they're speaking to each other. And he's got a friend in Virginia, and they're playing, and he's got friends here. And he was explaining uh, on Friday night. He said, "Hey, Dad, so I was with uh, I had one of my friends uh, playing online, and we started talking to each other, and we uh, and he doesn't know God. He claims to be an atheist." And I began to, I said, he said, I didn't really want to just kind of land hard, you know? And I'm like, okay, you know, now you got my attention. And so he said, I just started sharing Bible stories with him. And he said, I shared six Bible stories with him. And I read, while we're on this video game, I read, and he seemed really interested. And so I said, well, let me grab my Bible. And he began to read the stories of the scripture. And he said, yeah, I, re- I read, the, you know, where Moses threw down the staff and, you know, became a snake. And he said, I read the, the Red Sea. We went to the Red Sea story and then I went over and, you know, read this story, that story, that story. I'm like, man, that is powerful. And he said, Dad, what, what other stories can I share with him? Now, these guys have been friends. They're in the same grade. They've been friends, you know, for a long, long time. Obviously, the friendship. And he's a pretty good kid. Obviously, that didn't lead to making a spiritual decision. But I promise you, it is the word of God. It's not us being nice. It's not him being nice. He said, what other stories? I said, have you talked about the resurrection? And he goes, not, not yet. And I mean, you could just see the excitement. Not, not yet. I'm like, cool. He goes, t- tell, th- th- give me some you know, Bible verse. I'm like, oh, well, let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. So we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15. I'm like, you know, so I'm like, it says, you know, here that Christ appeared to, you know, Peter and then the disciples and then 500 men all at the same time. And I'm like, he goes, all at the same time. I'm like, yeah, I'm like that's a big deal. All at the same time. I'm like, yeah, because Christ came back. He just wasn't like Bigfoot, you know, see him here and then see him here, just individuals. And all 500. I said, you know, in our church on Sunday morning, we got 250, 300 people sitting in the room. I'm just, can you imagine 500? He's like, wow, it's amazing. I'm like, yeah, he appeared to them. And he, and he was here about a month and a half, a month and a half. I'm like, yeah, a month and a half. We were like really into it. And it's like he just, you know what? He can't wait to share that one. How about that? So I'm waking him up this morning, and I noticed. It's been our philosophy. Hey, let's put our kids in the world because that's where Jesus went. And I noticed on his bedside table, his picture. There's his textbook on the left, and there's his spiritual textbook in the middle. I'm really thankful this morning. Yeah, I'm really thankful this morning. Let me tell you where we land today. We've been in a conversation about our identity, who we are. And the reason I'll remind us is that when we are living who God has designed us to be and positioned us to be, this is when life comes alive. I could see it in his, in his eyes last night. I could hear it in his voice. He's coming alive. You know why? Because he's living out what God designed him and positioned him to be. And when, he's, when we're doing that, the Maserati is running at full potential. 
And when the Maserati is running at full potential, the Maserati is happy. It's just, it's just that way. And when we're, when we're out of rhythm, you know, we got two tires off the road, two tires on the road with God, it's just crummy. It doesn't feel like, man, life is, is this, right? So our identity is found in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're just going to scoot over there for a minute, and we'll be back to Acts. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you are positionally a new creation. You didn't do that yourself. Christ positioned you that way. The old is gone. The new has come. All this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. So let me pause for a second. Perhaps as we enter into this Christmas season, there's something that has sparked in you and you can't even explain it. You have this sense of exploring God perhaps and exploring spirituality perhaps in a way that you couldn't, you can't define it. This was exactly how I began my search for God. I didn't even know I was looking for God. I definitely wasn't looking for Jesus, religion, church, any of that. But this is how God works. He begins to spark in us an appetite that you humanly can't explain. What happens in that pursuit is that the more you pursue, the more you find out it's not a thing, it's not a what, it's a who that you're pursuing. And it's kind of like a hurricane map. You know, it's kind of like this blob out here in the ocean, and then as it gets closer, it gets more defined, more defined, more defined. And the more you're willing to search, the more, you're, the more you'll see definition that your search really is for God. And then that search becomes closer. And there's something that happens in that search that I can say it with my mouth today, which I will, but there's something inside of you that happens and you realize that in your search for God, if you are truly pursuing God, you recognize that there becomes a tension in this thing that was supposed to be beautiful, this beautiful pursuit, there becomes this tension and the tension is that instinctively you realize that the person, the God that you are searching is different than you, that he is perfect. And what happens is your imperfections begin to surface in a way that you didn't even know about them. And now what happens if you're truly searching for God is there's an uh-oh. Somewhere in that mix... There's an uh-oh. I was a musician. I played in rock bands. Life was good. I'm studying music in school. My life is fine and dandy. I'm happy-go-lucky. I enjoyed, you know, a party or two thousand, you know, whatever that might be. And then I began to pursue God only because I saw a guy named Billy Graham on TV. I didn't make any choice or anything. It just ignited a search. I found myself to the Bible that had been sitting under my bed for four years that my mom gave to me before I went to college. And I began to read out of pure curiosity of like, what is going on? And as I began to read, I began to cry. 
I was shocked. I was crying. Why am I crying? And the hurricane got closer. The clarity got crystal clear. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. The Bible calls it sin. It's not a popular word anymore. And then you begin to realize, like, hey, wait a minute. I'm not the only one because I thought I was the only one. That's stupid. But at the time, you know, I'm still stupid. But at the time, <laughs> I thought I'm the only one. I, you know, everybody else looks pretty good. But inwardly, I'm really, I'm really, you know, not great. And then when you hear the words, when you go, if you're really pursuing God and you really want a relationship with God and you really understand that you really are like the rest of us, that we all have sinned and we've fallen short of the perfection, the glory of God. You recognize that when you hear the words that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love for us in this, that Christ died for us. This is why it's called the good news. It's because we're trapped as sinners. And Christ reaches out. He doesn't expect us to work our way to heaven. He reaches down. He came down. And he began to extend himself to us. And if we will just embrace and give up our own notion and our own effort of saying, man, I can do this on my own. I can be good enough. I'll start coming to church. I'll start doing all these things. And if we're really willing to release that, and then turn to him, and as if I were to fall on this front row and they catch me, to fall onto Christ and say, Christ, without you, I'm nothing. Christ, without you, I'm going to be caught in my sin. Without you, I'm going to live an eternity away from you. And without you, I will never find forgiveness and reconciliation with the Father, God. And, with, and, and you fall into him and you say, God, I completely depend on you. And in that moment, Christ embraces you. He washes you clean. He forgives every sin. He makes the old new. He brings your spirit alive. He gives you the hope and the assurance of heaven. He gives you a new sense of purpose in life. And this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. See, this has nothing to do with church, by the way. This has nothing to do with religion. It is also it's all about coming alive. That's what he means. Then what? Ha look what happens after he positions. If we can go back to this verse, Second Corinthians, he committed to us this message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were speaking through us. He was making his appeal through us, making the voice through us. We are positioned to be the voice of the gospel. And if you are excited about that, if you are thankful about that, if you're like, man, my life was wrecked and now it's alive. I was dead. Now I'm, I've come to life. I was blind. I can see God has changed me. I was purposeless, and now I'm purposeful. All of these things. Then back in Acts chapter eight, verse uh, Acts four eighteen, when they said you can't speak anymore, and they called them in. Peter and John commanded them not to what 
speak. That was the big deal. Speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. This is why we do it. If in your heart you say, man, I, I probably should, you probably, it probably won't come out right. If you say, I can't help it, just leave it to God and watch what happens. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the power of the gospel of Jesus. It's changed our lives, God, and, and how can we contain that message? It's not us about us being nice. It's not about us having this sense of trying to live some perfect life. It certainly, it matters, God, that we walk with you for sure. But Father, it seems very clear in your word that we cannot leave it at that. That voicing the, the gospel of Jesus is the power of the word of God and it is the power of your word, God brings people into a knowledge that we're desperately in need of a Savior. In this Christmas season, Father, I wonder who is right in our circles. It doesn't need religion, doesn't necessarily need any lecture, that's for sure. But they need the gospel. They need Jesus. And this is our identity, Father. This is when we come alive, when we live out our identity. The voice of the gospel, Father. As if on this planet you're making your appeal to us. Father, would you, as we worship now, turn our hearts to worship, would you ruminate, marinate these things in our minds? thinking through them and not just moving on? Would you bring to our attention maybe one person in our own personal life that we would begin a conversation about Jesus in a very compassionate and loving way? So here we are, God, in front of you. Father, for those who are exploring you today. They may not maybe in some stage of their life where they're just looking, they've realized, God, we know that you've instinctively built in us to search for you, but maybe today the hurricane has landed. It's crystal clear that we as sinners need a Savior your love was demonstrated in this, that Christ died for us. Is that you today? 
that you while we're in prayer. Would this be the intersection, the unforgettable, monumental benchmark of your life where you would say, I want Jesus right now. From my heart to his, that's what you'd be saying to God. I want Jesus. God, I want to fall on him. I want to give up my ambition to be good enough. I want to give up the, the guilt of things that I don't think you're, that you would forgive. I want to give that up. And I want to fall on Jesus right now for him to catch me, depending completely on the blood of Christ that was shed as a gift on the cross to forgive me, to make the old new. That's what I want, God. Is that you today? Don't be ashamed. You're before God. He knows your soul. Say to him right now, I want Jesus in my life. You can have my old life. God, I exchange my old life for a new one. Would you come into my life? Thank you, God, for being so faithful.